Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. And welcome to the Ghibliotech, the podcast that fosters the family of films from the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leder, and I've seen the lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm meeting the parents for the first time. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Hello there, Jake. Hello, mate. Thanks for welcoming me into the family. <laughs> we're making it formal. We're putting a ring on it. <laughs> so this week we're talking about My Neighbours the Yamadas, which is Isao Takahata. We've talked about many of his films so far, many of which have been among your favourites. Yeah, and it's our second neighbour. After the big man himself, mm. My Neighbour Totoro. This film, the Yamadas, is something of a curio, Jake. It's one that only the hardcore... Ghibli fans have seen. Do you have any idea what you're getting yourself in for? Not really. Um, I said on the previous episode that the only thing I know about the film is that it's not really a standard narrative feature. It's just these little sections. And I've seen some stills that maybe have a feel of Kaguya in that the the colouring doesn't quite reach the edge of the frame. Mm -hmm. Um, Beyond that, no idea whatsoever. So this is going to be a journey of discovery for you this week. Yeah, yeah. It's so nice, like, with these later episodes, because there is, for me, less of a cultural bleed of iconography and quotes or anything like that. I just know nothing about them. Mm -hmm. And that's, in a way, more exciting than delving into a Spirited Away or a Mononoke or something. That's a very strong pitch for this episode, Jake. And another reason to do The Yamadas now is that it's celebrating its 20th anniversary this year, an inauspicious anniversary, which uh, we'll get to very shortly with the context. But first, something of a plot synopsis for this film. Adapted from a newspaper comic strip, My Neighbours the Yamadas follows the everyday experiences of a family of five. Well, six if you count the dog. Together, the Yamadas navigate their way through the ups and downs of work, marriage and family life, showing us how one family copes with life's little conflicts, problems and joys in their own way. So, in a way, that intro sounds like pretty much every other primetime US American sitcom. Mm, it's an interesting way of putting it, Jake. We should 
catch up with this Atakata in some of the context, though. So last we saw him, last we spoke of him, chronologically, that is, he had just made Pompoko in 1994, which is something of the hidden gem of the series, one film that we strongly recommend anyone see. Absolutely. Da, 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 da. And, Under, um, underrated Ghibli theme. Exactly. Um, it takes him five years from that point to make his follow-up, which is this film. It comes out in 1999. But in the meantime, Hayao Miyazaki makes Princess Mononoke, which was the huge success of the studio to that point. There's a strange documentary on the Blu-ray for My Neighbours the Yamadas that, that was made at the time for television. And it sets up a very odd conflict between Takahata and Miyazaki. It sets up a weird sense of competition that Yamadas is following Princess Mononoke, this huge hit that goes so deep into the fantasy world of the fantasy imagination of Miyazaki, and then there's this light, family-focused, real-world film. There's a question that hangs over the dock. Why the Yamadas? Why adapt this newspaper comic strip into a feature film using a completely new form of animation, completely digital animation? And the answer is, no one has ever seen or produced something like this before. That is Takahata, the experimental filmmaker there coming through there's also a sense talked about throughout the doc that mononoke is painted as being too serious a film and that this film would be different lighter more wholesome in the director's notes for the film takahata states that the film would be not a therapy but comfort and they make they draw this distinction between mononoke and Yamada's in the way that they've been pitched, the taglines in particular. Mononoke had the tagline of live, and Yamada's, the tagline is que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. <laughs> so there's something more easygoing and grounded mm. about it. And in some of the talking heads of the documentary, I do wonder how much this was Toshio Suzuki fermenting some sort of com competition to raise up the profile of Yamada's as if, is it going to be another Mononoke runaway success? Because what the actual talking heads on the dock are really mild-mannered, and M Miyazaki and Takahata seem a little bit bemused that they're being asked to comment on each other's films, but Takahata expressed some concern and criticism over the way Miyazaki fully embraced fantasy with Mononoke as a metaphor. He said, Fantasy talks about love, justice, and courage, and I want to clearly point out that it won't be a training for real life. These, these films so instead we need to look at reality and he also thought that while Princess Mononoke was a beautiful film I'd he felt agree, yeah. oh, oh my god we're on record saying that he said that the backgrounds the beautiful backgrounds of Mononoke and the foregrounds of the characters felt disconnected like they were sitting on different planes yeah we spoke about this in you the show you actually brought that up yeah. this was over a year ago one of our first episodes Mononoke I remember mm. you said that you felt there was a disconnect between the two mm. and Takata agrees so great minds think alike on this topic Takata wanted to solve the issue of cell animation where it feels that characters and backgrounds are separated and he took inspiration from the Canadian animator Frederick Back who's more of an experimental short-form filmmaker. He made a film called Crack that uses negative space out of which the characters seem to appear and their backgrounds around them. And Takata says on record, the space will be created by the character's movement. It wasn't like the space is there first and then the characters move within it. Characters' movements are indication of action 
were creating the scenes. Mm. And they, they dictate the space that mm -hmm. they live in. Yeah, I'd recommend tracking down crack. It's, it's, it's there, it's 14, 15 minutes long. It's all on YouTube and you'll see what they mean. This is also where another aspect of this Takata style that we talked about on the tale of the Princess Kaguya, it, it, it comes to the fore here. He wanted to maintain the energy of rough sketches rather than the polished fine lines that you see with finished artwork in the other Ghibli films. And the only way to achieve all these things was via a hybrid process that used hand-drawn art and then scanned in digital animation. So you'd have animators drawing those rough lines, those rough sketches of characters, then they'd be scanned in, processed, digitally coloured, and then digitally animated. I think they perfect it better. It looks better in Princess Kaguya, but it's here that they're still they're trying to crack the production process. Yeah. In the way that we talk about Robert Zemeckis a few times on this podcast. He's a guy who really sunk his the 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 goodwill he had in Hollywood into perfecting motion capture in films like The Polar Express and and um Beowulf. And then he made Welcome to Marwin and it all paid off, didn't it? Well, it paid off for other filmmakers. You can't then have the work that Andy Serkis is doing or the Planet of the Apes movies without that groundbreaking work 10 years before. That's what Takahata is doing here. He's being experimental. He's breaking out of some of the dogma of Ghibli's house style of it being primarily hand-animated, hand-drawn. But this production process was a hugely arduous, labor-intensive and expensive task. It cost about yeah. as much as Princess Mononoke, 2 billion yen to make this film that was adapted from a newspaper comic strip and is very much a minor, lightweight yeah. movie. And I'm sure definitely made as much money as Princess Mononoke did. Well, hmm. I think I, I've avoided from telling you this, Jake, but would it surprise you that this was, this is to date, Studio Ghibli's only box office bomb. Really? It didn't make its budget back. Wow. I, I thought it would be bad, but I didn't think it would actually be in the red. Completely stalls. So released in July 1999, it cost, as I said, about 2 billion yen to make, and it reportedly grossed somewhere between 1.1 to 1.3 billion yen. Compare that with Mononoke, the year, a couple of years previously, which made 10 to 15 billion, over 10 times as much at the box office. This was... It made half of what Pompoko made five years previously. It was a real mm, mm. failure at the box office. Pretty damning. And then also it couldn't really travel abroad. Um, we talked on the Princess Mononoke episode about how that was the first one of these Ghibli films that at point of release had international release plans in place. Admittedly, it got bounced down to Miramax from being a biz big Disney release because of its content. It was challenging and a bit more adult. But can you imagine Buena Vista International, who invested in this film, looking at Yamadas and thinking, would this be able to be translated and dubbed and released in theatres in, the, in the States? And has it been dubbed? I mean, only years later, took until 2005, 2006, for it to come out in the UK and the US. And they did do a dub, but it's, on, it's only ever been a curio mm. within the, um, the Studio Ghibli fandom. Certainly not one that people would pick up off the pile as their first few films. And that's why we've left it to quite late in the process yeah. as the final Isao Takahata film that he made at Ghibli that we're going to be covering. It's, I, I, as a committed fan of Takahata's films, I know you love Only Yesterday, Pompoko, Go the Fireflies. 
and Princess Kakia, this is yeah. the one that's left. Is it going to scale to those heights for you? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So you mentioned there, Michael, that I've I've loved all of these Takahata films, that he has been the great discovery for me on this podcast journey. And although I was very excited about just the prospect of another Takahata film because of how quietly this film is talked about, um, didn't know the full extent of just how embarrassing perhaps it was for even the studio itself. Um, I was also, that excitement had a lining of trepidation mm. Um anxiety uh what is what has he actually done here um but it's totally a takahata film yeah and i love that he managed to get two billion yen to make it and make it exactly how he wanted to make it and if i'm honest i really like this film mm-hmm. okay. I, I think it's really good mm-hmm. uh i had such a great time watching it i I find that with films that are uh, episodic like this, that are disconnected between chapters, they have a tendency to run long. You feel like you're counting how many things you've seen already. How many chapters have I seen? How many does that mean that have, have we got left? And you're really thinking about the clock. Didn't find that at all. I think it's totally beautiful. I really like the characters. It's, it is flawed for mm-hmm. sure and we will get into that but because it is it's quite brisk like because it zips through all of these chapters and because it's constantly refreshing the frame it's even changing its style mm-hmm. i don't know if it even gives you time to get bored <laughs> i i think it's terrific and i'm really really happy it exists that's really sweet. I know that this film definitely has its fans, past guests on the show. I know Alex Dudoktovit is a big fan, as I think his father Michael is as well. I must say this film does try my patience a bit. 
only because I think this would have been a brilliant short film or a brilliant pilot for a TV series. There was actually, a few years later, an anime series adapted from the newspaper comic strip, but made by a completely different company. And I would love to see how they tackled it. Where this film is completely successful for me is in its art style. It's so groundbreaking within Ghibli's little bubble, but then also so in its own space as Takahata plowing forward, busting out of, literally busting out of the lines and frames of animation. And the opening sequence is a statement of purpose that teaches you what it's doing, right? The opening 10 minutes of this is up there with the best things that Takahata's ever done. It is like gobsmackingly beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. And disappointingly, the film maybe never hits the heights that it does in those opening moments. The way that it moves between scenes, it's kind of it's kind of flexing its muscles of what it can do with animation and how it can link that to theme and family. The way that he creates these vessels that the family can live in, like whether that's a boat or a tractor or a, uh, a car and like moving between them all, picking up family members along the way and just giving you this like, almost biblical feeling <laughs> of a journey to get to suburbia. Mm-hmm. Like all of the huge things that you have to get through, the people that will help you through it. And that's that's really the film. Mm-hmm. Like You do not actually have these huge scale events in life. Most people won't. You won't have the superheroes or the giant wave or the... Um, incredible like destruction of a forest or these things that we've actually seen in other Studio Ghibli films you're actually just going to have maybe just a a quiet life with your family and that's entertainment enough Mm -hmm. and that's spirited enough Mm -hmm. and that's all within this opening Mm -hmm. and it's so beautifully rendered well it's beautifully rendered in that way that Takahata isn't an animator, he's not an artist in the way that Miyazaki is. So his approach to this canvas is completely free of the idea of a pen to paper in the way that I imagine Miyazaki sits down and he'll sketch a character or he'll sketch a landscape. He'll start with concept art. The concept that Takahata's working with is purely conceptual. He's looking at a blank page and he sees lines forming into characters, forming into the world around those characters, animating and going from there. It's incredibly astounding and gets to the heart of what I believe is the way that Takahata, as we've said with his other films, reaches out to embrace all forms of visual culture and visual inspirations. In, seen also in the way that characters can change form and style almost within scenes. Mm. We talk about Pompoko and how the Tanuki have maybe three or four different forms of actual being Tanuki before they even change shape into humans or whatever ghosts. Yeah, and more, and in that he's he's happy to bring in live action mm-hmm. for a small section. In only yesterday in those more dreamlike memories we're seeing what we see here of that the most essential elements of the frame being the part that is colored is defined it doesn't fill out to the edges and he pushes that further here and pushes it to perfection in a way Mm -hmm. with kagia so you said that the structure of this didn't bother you because you think that the individual episodes were so strong we should say these little 
slices of life, these little sketches, can be anywhere between maybe two or three minutes long, some are maybe more like ten minutes. What is hard for me to get on board with is the way that it never falls into a consistent rhythm in terms of how it's signposted. Some sketches end with um, incidental shots of nature, so a recurring theme of wildlife or trees just to bridge the gap. That's more like a traditional um, establishing shot between scenes. We also have these title cards that may, be, may have almost like those... Um, the title cards that would appear between scenes in Frasier, where it would be almost a little turn of phrase mm. that maybe relates to what's about to happen. We also have Nona Chan's narration that comes through, introducing, setting up a sequence. And then sometimes we have actual quotations from the great Japanese philosophical poets like Basho. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> and, I, and I don't know what they mean when they come in. They seem so random and erratic. Yeah. And that contributes to this sense that it's a big grab bag of ideas rather than something that works as a feature film. Yeah, I, I think that is a very uh, justified frustration with it and something that I found slightly annoying because I actually, when those things did come up, I really liked them. Mm -hmm. Like particularly mm -hmm. the the quotes, like the calligraphy. The calligraphy that beautiful, that. isn't it? And in the earlier scenes, there are these wonderful animal-based transitions where a little hog kind of wanders onto screen and that fo you follow that for a bit and that enters into another scene or a similar thing with a bird that enters frame and you follow that. And it's these little things, these little like regular chapter markers that in a way will help contain you within the world of the film because sometimes you need that that signposting that regularity to just kind of keep you going and as you say it's a bit more chaotic mm. but is that not a family michael oh jake we should focus in on some of the moments this is a film about moments film about the little moments of life that are being caught in these stories which ones jump out to you that you remember well okay. fondly? There are some really, really beautiful moments. Like uh -huh. There is a particular scene involving umbrellas. Oh, yeah. That is like, like takes a proper like emotional swing in the, in its final beat. And I think maybe does more so than could be done with a comic strip. I think right. in, in the film you can, it goes for some emotional highs there later on when it's talking about aging, about, death kind of alluding to what might come after that for both the person and for their family but this particular bit with an umbrella where uh, the dad is out stuck in the rain he's asked if the family could bring him an umbrella and all they want is for him to bring them dinner and <laughs> they're not going to bring in an umbrella or anything like that and, and they're passing the book around the house aren't they like the mum says oh son can't you get it and so like oh sister can't you get it yeah and so the phone call goes around and ultimately he's he resigns to the fact that he's just going to get soaked and all his family want is some food and they don't care about him. And then he turns around from the shop front where he's been seeking protection from the rain and there all of them are with each, with an umbrella each. Mm -hmm. And that's just, that's a lovely beat. And you've got other bits where he comes home and he's like a bit tired, perhaps a little drunk, it's quite odd. And his wife offers him banana or a red bean cake. And 
he just sits there kind of teetering on the edge of a bed uh just hovering swaying eating a banana and it just holds there for like a minute just to kind of inspect this moment of uh this married life mm -hmm. and that's great i i love when it just holds on bits like this um or there'll be a flourish where the grandmother is talking to a guy who remembers how she was 60 years ago and how similar she really is now. And in the back of the scene, we see the animation on her change. I'd, like We're not drawing attention to it. It doesn't go to a close-up. It doesn't tell us how creative it's being or what it's doing that's really cool. And that's so tech how to do that. It's, not, it's never going to tell you how mm -hmm. clever he is. But it's just doing this small little thing that is really effective. What, speaking of effective, what do you make of the sense of humor of this film? Stylistically, I've referred to this as almost like the Japanese animation version of The Simpsons. And you can almost track some of the characters into the, the archetypes that The Simpsons form. The two and a half you know, children, the hardworking dad who's a bit of a dope, and the long-suffering mother who can also have her moments. And there's a gr grandparent figure who's um, s simultaneously stubborn and grumpy, but also chaotic in their own way. But the sense of humor is so, is m kind of muted in some ways. And yeah, to that, uh, a lot of the time it feels like it's uh, there are scenes in search of jokes. Yeah. Um, but, and, or sometimes there will be a joke that feels like it's from like a 1980s greetings card. <laughs> like, um, or like the kind of memes that baby boomers will send each other on Facebook. It's mm -hmm. a lot of, God, isn't my wife terrible? <laughs> or my wife never cooks for me. Yeah. Um, and isn't married life awful? But God, you got to love them, haven't you? Mm. Uh, it's that kind of joke, which doesn't in a way mesh with just how beautiful the film looks. And there's a lot of wisdom in this film, as you said, particularly um, the umbrella scene. But there are just as many quite weak gags mm -hmm. in here that completely, but you know, if, if you imagine this more existing in the world of... Um, newspaper comic strips where they're a handful of frames you know and then there'll be a punchline at the end if it's like existing in the same world as garfield it is sometimes predicated on a bit of a, a lame gag at, at the end of a setup but then some of the jokes are good they're just solid jokes what's your favorite jokes jake um well there's actually one about shopping list which is in the first third of the film roughly and where uh she the the wife challenges the husband to go and do the shopping gives him a list and he says i can remember it don't worry uh -huh, uh -huh. and then it cuts to him sat down and he's saying the items that are on the list and then it goes wider and you see that the wife is there and she's angry and he says see i told you i can remember them i just didn't buy them <laughs> <laughs> which is great and then like that's already a solid joke <laughs> and then like like in the final 10 minutes of the film uh, he's like rummaging in his pockets or something and he pulls out a shopping list and we got the items that were on the shopping list from earlier and it's just a great callback to what we all know is a hilarious joke mm -hmm. there's one involving the grandma where the mum is trying to get 
a the grandma to make sushi for the family. So she goes in saying, "Oh, I think we'll order sushi tonight." You know, with the with the implication that sushi is expensive. So maybe the grandma would instead suggest that she'll make sushi for the family. And the grandma does put jump up and say, "Oh, it's okay. No, don't don't order expensive sushi. I'll make I'll make it for the family." And then the grand decides instead to make beef stroganoff or however she she can't say the word um, and completely fails to make beef stroganoff so they have to order in sushi after all anyway. It's one step away from being a northern club comedian from the 70s yeah. um, talking about their family life. Yeah. Um, I, 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 but there's, there's something very charming throughout. Yeah, and I think if we actually go to the, there's a scene that's immediately after the like the name of the film comes up mm-hmm. where we see the young son reading a manga comic strip, and he talks about the fact that he sees these characters in there in their adventures, and he's jealous of them because you'd never encounter that in family life, like that you would never actually see these things on screen. And in a way, I think that that's Takahata talking about making this film. Mm-hmm. And that it is coming immediately after Mononoke is proceeding spirited away. And he wants to go out there and he wants to make his real film about people mm-hmm. because fantasy cannot solve all of these problems. And he's addressing that at the very start. And I think there's a reflection of that in probably my favorite scene of the film, which is... Um, it's one of the main publicity shots. Some people might recognize it, but not really know what's happening in that shot. It's when out the family around the TV in the living room and the dad is outside in the garden. It's the first snow of the season. And he comes barreling into the living room saying, it's the first snow of the season. We should have a family photo. And they're watching some sort of disaster movie like it's Cliffhanger. Like, yeah. There are some little characters dangling off a mountain being you know, hit by snowdrifts. And they're like, no, no, we're watching this. It's much more exciting. And he's like, where's the camera? And the, the mum's sort of idly saying, oh, it's in the top drawer. And what he does in the end is set up this tableau where he puts the camera on top of the t- TV facing outwards. And he goes and stubbornly crouches behind the family on the other side of the French windows going into the garden. And that I th- that's Takahata taking a pop at everyone everyone else at Ghibli <laughs> going for the spectacle yeah. <laughs> the fantasy right yeah absolutely <laughs> Takahata's the grumpy old man yeah. it was him all along not Miyazaki <laughs> but Jake do you think overall so this film was a bomb G- Ghibli's only bomb and um, but do you think that is it a creative success absolutely mm-hmm. yeah I think this is a brilliant training ground um, and I'm there's stuff here that ultimately we wouldn't have The Tale of the Princess Kaguya without this film, I don't think. And I'm so grateful for it because of that, but also because it's good. <laughs> like It's really funny and it's really lovely to look at. And I know you said that you don't think it works as a film. It works better as a short film or as a 30-minute mm-hmm. um, sitcom. That Those are still in there. Yeah. Like you can still go and watch your 10-minute bit if you want. It, it's purposely built like that. You can go and watch 30 minutes of it. That's fine. It's still going to be there. And if you do fancy just sticking around with these characters for two hours, then I'd encourage you to do so. Well, terrific. I think we should rank this film. It's going to be a tricky one to rank, though. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, because I think more than others, it's easier to identify the flaws in this one as mm-hmm. well. 
But God, I'm, I'm, it's, it's like, a, maybe it's just because it's the underdog that I've, <laughs> I've, I've swung for it. You've bought into the sentimental narrative, Jake. Yeah, well, yeah. let's see where we put it in our respective rankings. Absolutely. Let's move on to the leaderboard. Okay, Michael. So I think for um, the leaderboard section, let's maybe look at this in two ways, how it looks at how it fits into the Ghibli rankings as a whole for you, mm-hmm. and then how it fits into Takahata's work as well. Yes. So uh, as a whole, and I say this with the caveat that if this was a short, if this was a 30-minute special, this would be higher. But I think as a film that is an hour and 40, an hour and 50, that feels like three hours to me, um, it's going to rank low. It's going to be probably 18th below House Moving Castle. So bottom of that second tier. It's not amongst the worst of... I mean, it, it may seem like I'm putting it amongst the worst of the Ghibli films, but I think that there's still something to see here. It's just that he nails the artistic style so well in The Tale of Princess Kaguya. And that means that this is, for me, the lowest ranking of his films. Um, to recap, I think Grave of the Fireflies is top. Tell Princess Kaguya second, only yesterday in Pompoko, standing quite side by side there in joint joint third place. This is below those. Mm. Where where would it come for you? Uh, it's definitely higher mm-hmm. than that for me. I, I really like this film. Um, this is getting to the time where I feel like maybe later on we should do some kind of amnesty with our yeah. lists that we can go in and reshuffle them. Um, because ultimately I, I do feel like I I enjoyed this film more than I enjoyed Princess Mononoke. Um uh so I'm going to I'm going to tuck this one in at 14th. Um so that's just just below Spirited Away for me. Uh, so, so it's below Spirited Away but and above Mononoke. Is that that those that's, the, that's two right. neighbors. Yeah, exactly. Um it, and uh, that's chronological, eh? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> Sandwiched between the two. Yeah. I think you are a madman, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but um, is that still bottom for it's Takata bottom for Takata? Yeah, um, my order slightly different to yours. It leads with only yesterday, then Grave of the Fireflies, then Princess Kaguya, then Pompoko, then mm-hmm. this one. Um, but by no means does that mean this is a bad film. This is a great film, and it does not feel like three hours at all. That's the one thing we disagree on. Mm. We're going to come to blows today, <laughs> Jake. We, we should say we are now. 21 films deep into the Ghibli attack and this is we're grown-ups now we're grown-ups this is the last of their theatrically released films for us to cover Mm. and next week we have their final feature which went straight to telly was a tv movie which is ocean waves do you have any clue about that film that's another one that's so deep that few people have seen it few people know it exists the big thing that i know about ocean waves more than anything else is that it's 77 minutes long. <laughs> so it's the shortest of their of the the proper Ghibli films. Mm-hmm. It's not the shortest of the films we'll cover on this podcast, but it's um, something of a gem. I look forward to it. It's not Miyazaki. It's not Takahata. It's another uh, greenhorn filmmaker stepping into the director's chair. But until then, we hope you've enjoyed your time in the Ghibliotech. If you want to keep up with us, we're now on Twitter. We are at Ghibliotech. And if you want to keep up with us individually, Michael's there at Michael J. Leader. 
and Jake is on Twitter as Jake H. Cunningham. Bibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is made by Anthony Ng, our artwork is by Sophie Moe, and Jamie Maisner is our audio wizard. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Harold McShill, and Steph Watts. That's me. Hi, everyone. Thanks for sticking with us through the credits this week. I'd like to spotlight the composer on this film, the legendary Japanese pianist Akiko Yano, who as well as performing as a solo artist, was also a touring keyboardist for Yellow Magic Orchestra, who uh, whose song Raideen we heard in Only Yesterday. Akiko Yano provides music and contributes a voice performance to My Neighbours the Amadas, but that's only one of her roles that she's performed for Ghibli. She lent her voice to two shorts directed by Hayao Miyazaki that screen at the Ghibli Museum. They're Mon Mon, The Water Spider and House Hunting. But my absolute favourite of all her Ghibli contributions to date is her appearance in Ponyo, in which she voices Ponyo's sisters, those tiny little fish who help Ponyo to escape Fujimoto's lair in that film. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.